0: You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from far away. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark for you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. For your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Heavenly Father, you created us, and you gave us life from your life. You breathed into the first man and woman your own breath and they lived each of us is descended from your original creation you know each of us here this morning intimately lord you know our names and you know everything about us you created us for life teach us from your word and through your holy spirit now open your scriptures and help us to understand your view of life In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God knows each of us intimately and thoroughly. Last week we talked a little bit about how God knows us in those times when we're really hurting and He knows all of the details and He knows all of the pain. God knows. But more than just those times when we're hurting, God knows us from beginning to the end. He knows us in the womb. He knows us in our very last day. As Psalm 139 said, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. This is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's a Sunday where we celebrate life as something very precious. And it's also a day that we mourn the more than 61 million babies that have been killed. In the United States through abortion since 1973, 61 million. The abortion rate has been slowly declining as a result of the efforts of those who, who are, call themselves pro-life and those who have protested and marched and prayed, written to politicians, spoken out. Given time and money, it's all having an effect. But it's not happening quickly, unfortunately. It's not going all that fast. This past year, uh, in 2020, year before last, 32,123 abortions in Pennsylvania alone. 18% of all pregnancies in Pennsylvania ended in abortion. And across the country, close to 900,000 abortions in the USA there are groups that propagate it even encourage it for example in uh, the years 2018 to 2019 Planned Parenthood took in 1.6 billion dollars in the US they averaged about 160 million dollars per year for abortion, abortion services alone and of course they're not the only ones providing this service Since the early 1970s, a lot of Christian churches, especially evangelical Protestants and uh, Roman Catholics, have opposed abortion together in an organized way. But Christian opposition goes way back before that. So what's our basis for opposing abortion? What's our basis Opposing it. Why do we oppose it so much? What is a Christian biblical position, a basis on which we, we do oppose it? Well, let me suggest a few things for you this morning. First of all, I believe it's about life. Uh, I once had a young woman verbally attack me uh, on the issue of abortion. She was there for marriage counseling with her husband, and, and uh, I hadn't even brought it up, but it was one of the stumbling points to her coming to faith in Jesus. One of her very angry questions about abortion was, why are you Christians always trying to take away our rights? Well, my response to that was that from our point of view, it's not a matter of rights. It's not about rights at all. It's a question of life. We are for life. We are pro-life because the Bible very clearly shows us that God created us for life. He created us to be alive. In Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the air, and over the livestock, and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. We were created to be alive. We were created in the image of God. We were created to reproduce and populate the earth and look after it. Did you know that the earth's population is, that its population growth is on a steady decline? You know, uh, in some countries, there's still overpopulation, uh, still rapid growth, but overall, across the world, the population of the earth only grew 1% last year. It's been declining for several years. Often when I was growing up, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was growing up, I remember that overpopulation was one of the reasons why we promoted abortion. But that's not indicated here. And have you often wondered what it means to be created in the image of God? How are we created in God's image? And what does that mean to be created like that? I mean, it says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We were created to reflect God. We were created so that our lives would reflect who God is, so that when people looked at us, they would get some understanding of who our creator was, kind of like what Kathy was talking about with the hair of Jesus thing this morning, you know? It's... Reflecting God, people being able to see when they look at us. We have a purpose in this creation, and that is to reflect God, to show who he is. In the Genesis 2 account of creation, it talks about God giving human life. In verse 7 it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being god gave life to humans by breathing something of his own essence into them into us that's how humanity came to be the very first human became a living being and and god created him for life in fact we were created to live forever it isn't until after the fall that Life begins to get shorter. We were created to live by that tree of life and to live forever with God. We are for life, or pro-life as the popular term goes. What does it mean to be pro-life? What does it mean to be for life? To a lot of people that means, oh, well, you're against abortion. Well, that's, that's just a small part of it. That doesn't even begin to cover the extent of it. Abortion is just a way to take a child's life away. I've heard a, a great divis- uh, definition from a group called uh, Pro-Life America. And I want to share that with you this morning. They say, in pro-life, it means the unborn child is a living human being from the moment of fertilization. And is deserving of having its life protected by the law in all circumstances and in all stages of life. Of life. I like that. I think it says it pretty well. In all stages of life, that part means through your entire life. The Bible's position is that we were created for life. It's also about God's Word, it's about what He teaches. The Bible was given to us by God so that we would know Him. And know how to live for him. And the value of human life is woven all the way through the testimony of the scriptures. You might think the Old Testament is about this warring God who gets angry all the time. And and then somehow makes a shift, makes a change when it gets to the New Testament. And becomes the nice God and becomes loving all the time. Well, that's not really the God of the Bible. We have to look a little closer than that. It's not true. God values life through the whole Bible, even when life is taken because of justice. The value of life is woven all through the Scripture. He gives us so many different reasons to value life. In fact, there are over 100 verses that just talk about how God values life, including life before birth in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5, for example, says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to all the nations. So before they were even born, God was putting his calling on his prophets. The New Testament talks about John the Baptist in that same way, doesn't it? Luke says he was filled with God's spirit while he was still in the womb. Well, only a person can be filled by the Spirit. Only a person. There's no other testimony in the scriptures that talks about a rock being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, a lump of flesh being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, something that is not life filled with the Holy Spirit. Only a person can be filled with God's Spirit. And since we were created in His image, we are able to receive that. Psalm 139, the one that we started with this morning, highlights this verse it says for you formed my inward parts you knitted together you knitted me together in my mother's womb and I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made it goes on to say wonderful are your works my soul knows it very well my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet none was even there God was deeply involved in the process of creating you and it's not just some biological function you know Somehow there's a spiritual part of that that takes place in which God has his hand. And he knows this intimately, even before we're born. He knows who you are, what your personality is going to be like. He knows some of the struggles you're going to go through, some of the tragedies, some of the pains. He knows all of the things that you're going to go through in your life before even one starts and he's present with you every one of those days. Every one of them. You know, sometimes in the birth process, things go terribly wrong. And when a woman loses a child, it is a terrible tragedy. It's not because God chose to take that child from you. It's more because we live in a fallen world that is broken and it doesn't always function the way God intended when he created it. It's not beyond God's control. But every child lost is a heartbreaking tragedy. And we grieve. And We've been doing some grieving this week. You see the value of life in the Ten Commandments. When God gives the sixth commandment, in Exodus 20, he, he doesn't just say, thou shalt not kill, as a lot of translations and people say. It says, you shall not murder. It's very, very specific. It's talking about the deliberate taking of life. God values life so much that you cannot take it except under some very limited circumstances. The rest he calls murder. We cannot treat life as if it's nothing. Nothing as if it's unimportant. All life matters. And taking it without some extreme reason to do so is murder. Now I want to tell you right now that standing on a street corner with a sign across from a clinic and yelling murderer at the women who are going through the door of that clinic, that's not going to stop that abortion. And for sure it's not going to draw women to your way of thinking. And I guarantee that it won't bring them into a relationship with God. Absolutely. Not too long ago, a young lady that I know lost her child some months into pregnancy. The fetal heartbeat had just stopped. They had no idea why. Just something happened between checkups. So now she's carrying this child in her body that had died. And that child's body had to be removed in in a medical procedure. And because of COVID, they couldn't have her at the hospital, so they referred her to a clinic. So on top of the pain of losing the child, on top of the fear of the procedure, was the fear of having to walk through or past those people with those signs yelling murderer at every woman who went into the clinic, whether they were getting an abortion or not. I remember sitting with her father and her father really angry with tears in his eyes saying to me, why should my daughter have to go through that? Nobody's daughter should. Nobody's. Even if they are having an abortion. I believe that a Christian pro-life view does all of that differently and looks at it differently. It's about life. It's about God's word and what he teaches about his view of the value of human life, but it's also very much about God's love. The most well-known verse in the Bible, John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was God's love that motivated him to send his son. God loved the world, and that means you and every single person in it. And since we've discovered that the scripture is speaking to those in the womb as persons, it means that God loves them it's the love of Jesus that will draw people to him it's the love of Jesus that motivates us to persuade others that the unborn should be protected and not aborted it's the love of Jesus that will do the persuading as we talk your love reflecting Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit can bring change Abortion rates are, in fact, coming down. But they will come down a lot faster if we love a whole lot more and shout at people a whole lot less. Jesus came for life. For life. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And, you know, we always think of that as just this abundant life blessing, but if you put it into the context, there's this discussion going on with the Pharisees, and Jesus is using himself uh, as an example. He says, I am the good shepherd, and, and there's that whole part he says that, that I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That means that through Jesus, our sins will be forgiven. And that life That life that Jesus created us for, and yes, Jesus was involved in the creation before he was even born. That life that we talked about way back in Genesis will continue forever the way that we were created to live if we come to Jesus by faith. If we believe in Jesus, the Son of God, that he died on a cross for your sins. That he was raised on the third day. That, that forever life that we were supposed to live from the beginning is restored. We call it eternal life. Our view on abortion is based on God's view about life. It's based on his teaching in the Bible about the value of life. It's based on his love for every human being including the unborn. Everyone. There's one more thing I want to say this morning. Our view is also based on redemption. Because of the high number of abortions in America, even here in Pennsylvania, changes or chances are that, that people we know will have been through an abortion. Maybe even you. God's love is for everyone. And that offer of forgiveness for sin is for everyone. No matter what you've done. Even you. And, and your sin can and will be forgiven. In fact, it's forgiven already if you've come to Jesus and received him. Through Christ, you can experience healing. When we talk about abortion or any issue, we need to look at God's word and get an understanding of how God feels on the subject. So often we start with public opinion. We start with what we've read in our favorite news service or we, we start with our own biases. We need to start with God and his word. We need to see what he says first. And then as disciples of Jesus, we need to live that out. And so often we don't. Because there's no explicit instruction in the Bible that talks about abortion directly, if it went ignored for years. Now, now we th- tend to think that, that Christians have always grouped together in being against abortion. But prior to 1970, a lot of Christians supported abortion. A significant part of the Southern Baptist Convention thought it was just fine. One of my heroes, Billy Graham, for a while thought it was a good moral choice. Even Christianity Today in the 70s wrote a pro-abortion article. But then something happened. Something happened. People began to look at God's word, and they started to say, hey, look what God is saying about life and what we're supposed to be doing here. This just isn't isn't compatible. It just doesn't fit together. And so, so people began to choose differently, and they began to change, and they began to go a different direction and began to oppose what they had been supporting. Because of the Word of God. For Christians, it's a matter of choosing to follow God on matters of life, just as on everything. Let me offer a a few practical suggestions on, on what you can do, things that you can do that are helpful in terms of reducing the number of abortions and bringing more life. First of all, you can pray. You can pray for all kinds of things. You can pray for changes in the laws so that there will be more restrictions so that abortions will be reduced. You can pray for those who are making the laws, that their hearts would be warmed by God and that they would be more open to hearing from him. You can pray for those who feel that they have no choice other than this. Many women feel that they're in that position where they have no choice? So pray for them, pray for them. Pray for open hearts to alternatives like adoption, like foster care, like other ways to care for children that we find ourselves unable to care for. Pray for God's church to show love and compassion in women who are experiencing unexpected pregnancy. Because we need to be loving and we need to be compassionate. Being judgmental and pointing the finger doesn't do a darn thing, doesn't change anybody, doesn't save one child. Pray for abortion recovery that women will find a safe place where they can heal and find the love of Jesus. There are places like that. Second thing on here is provide. Provide funds for agencies that, that counsel and provide services for pregnant women, like PMI, Pregnancy Ministries. Uh, Daria's right here this morning. She works there. Uh, I believe, I think of Daria as one of our missionaries. I think she's as much one of our missionaries as anyone we send to a foreign land. She has a tougher job, I think, and sometimes... Provide a place to live. There are, I started to look this up online just to see how many of these places there are. There are so many places that do maternity housing all across Pennsylvania and across the country. We can certainly support people as they find a place, a safe place to have that baby. Or we can help them by supporting them financially as they find a place of their own. Or getting involved in foster care or some other way. And we can provide for practical needs as somebody goes through pregnancy. Do you remember, you know, those of you who've had children, do you remember how much it took to to have babies? You know, do you remember the armloads of diapers? And the, the, you know, the, the formula and the baby food and the wipes and all the baby gates and car seats, and, you name it. There's so many things. And we can provide those if we work together on it. Persuade is on the list. Persuade others with a focus on life. Start with life, start with the value of life. When people make claims about God, point to the fact that God values life so much that he gave his only son. Be positive and uplifting, be compassionate and loving, argumentative doesn't do it. We will never argue somebody into our position or into the kingdom of Christ. But if we rely on the Holy Spirit speaking through us, if we're soft and loving and concerned and care about that person more than our own position, God will do something very special. Minister is the last thing on my list here. Minister to women who have been through the pain of abortion. Listen and love. I remember when I was much younger, I was working on a paving crew and. My partner who drove the truck, his church, they had a young woman who was planning to have an abortion and, and they, they met with her and they talked with her, the deacons did, and they prayed with her and they just tried their best to convince her not to go that direction. But in the end, she chose to do that. A few days later, they met with her again. And instead of saying, "Look what you did!" Look, we believe that's sin. We believe that's murder. That we believe that what they did was they surrounded her and they loved her and they prayed on her and they supported her and helped her to walk through that next terrible stage. Sometimes we got to step out of the box. Sometimes we got to take risks. Sometimes we got to go places nobody else is willing to go. That's the church. God cares about. The abortion issue, and so should we. I believe he has called us to care too. Heavenly Father, you care very much about this issue because it's not about rights or disagreement. It's about people yet unborn. It's about people you've created and are ready to welcome into this world. Open our eyes, Lord, to the need and to the loss. Open our hearts to love and show compassion on women who feel desperate or feel pressured or who don't really understand what's at stake. Help us to share gently in compassion and by your power and not our own. Lord, we ask you for an end to this practice. We ask that you would help us provide assistance to those who need help so that they can carry their pregnancy to term, and so that these beautiful, tiny beings can be brought into this world. We believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.